Gerritsen and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM and 94.5 FM. It is Tuesday and it's another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host Jack Johnson alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Gerritsen and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and northeast Kansas for years. Also be sure to visit Kim Hauer and Associates Agency at 105th and Metcalf in Overland Park, or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. And if you mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift, Kim and her team will give you a free $10 gift card to Starbucks to use whenever you would like coffee, tea, breakfast items. It's your $10, so all you got to do is say that you heard their ad here on The Shift and call that number at 913-649-2002 today. Last night, the Kansas Jayhawks got their nation-leading 14th quad one win after a 63-59 win over the TCU Horn Frogs on the road, the third-ranked Jayhawks really, I would say, had their toughest rock fight of the season. We've tossed around that saying a lot, but last night was a true rock fight in this game because TCU didn't shoot the ball well, Kansas didn't shoot the ball well, it was very physical, a lot of fouls in the game, TCU got to the free-throw line a lot, They didn't cash in as well. But when it was all said and done, or excuse me, I did get the the score wrong. It was 63-58, not 63-59. But Kansas, for the majority of the second half, had their spurts. They had their spurts where it felt like they could get some serious separation, got to about a six- or a seven-point lead. But TCU always seemed to have a response. But what was the difference when it was all said and done? is that on the defensive side of things, Kansas locked down TCU. Mike Miles last night had one of his worst shooting performances of the season. 4 of 14, he was 2 of 4 from deep, only 13 points. Remember Eddie Lampkin and how tough he's been for Kansas in the last three matchups, twice last year, and then the first matchup in Lawrence? Now I know he's still banged up. But Eddie Lampkin only had one bucket on three attempts from the floor. Eight boards. You also held Damian Baugh to four of 16 from the field. Some would tell you Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller are really good defenders. Now as for the Jayhawks, once again, we have seen this team come through when Jalen Wilson doesn't play very well. Now Jalen Wilson was fantastic on the boards. He gives you 13 boards, 3 assists, only turned it over 3 times. But he was 3 of 11 from the floor. So where are you going to get your production from? Well, it was from Grady Dick, and it was from Kevin McCuller. And I would say the star in that game was Kevin McCuller. Wasn't very pretty shooting the ball, shot under 50%. But still, he was great on the defensive end and had the biggest defensive play of the game forcing a jump ball in the final 30 seconds. 
But Grady Dick, he goes 7 of 18, 3 of 10 from deep. And, and I've seen some criticism of Grady Dick, you know, not always shooting the highest percentage from deep. He probably will be the all-time leader in three-point makes by a freshman after the season. I believe he's about 12 or 13 behind. I want to say it's Jeff Boshi. But Grady Dick is always going to be the guy that gets his shots up from deep. I have no issue whatsoever with Grady Dick shooting 10 three-pointers. If he goes 3 of 10, 4 of 11, 5 of 12, that's his game. And last night he was the leading scorer for Kansas with 19. Also had six boards and two assists. Dewan Harris gives you six points and eight assists. K.J. Adams didn't have the cleanest of games. Struggled with fouls. He had about four and the early parts, or I would say the the midway point of the second half, and he was 2 of 8 from the floor, and he's usually shooting a very high percentage because he's taking all of his shots from inside of 5 feet. But Kansas last night did what Vegas didn't expect them to, and that was get out of Fort Worth with a win. Now, when we previewed this show, and we talked about it yesterday, we talked about the odds, right, that in... Bill Self's tenure at Kansas, he's only been swept twice. Those two coaches were Mike Boyden and Shaka Smart. Mike Boyden in Oklahoma State did it back in 2018. And Shaka Smart did it with Texas back in the COVID year. When there was barely any fans allowed inside of arenas. So other than that, nobody's had... Another chance at sweeping Kansas. And TCU maybe had the best chance of anybody in that stretch since Bill Self's been at Kansas. I mean, you beat the Jayhawks by 23 in Allen Fieldhouse, and then you welcome them back to Fort Worth. You're healthier. You have Mike Miles back, and Kansas will be one of the few teams in conference play this year to play TCU healthy twice. But you play them in front of a hostile, rocking environment, and you feel like, man, after a 175 win over Oklahoma State on Saturday, it's a buzzsaw game for Kansas. But Kansas is starting to show, ever since that lackluster performance against Iowa State, there's really nobody that can stop them right now. They can beat you by 80, 85, or score 80, 85, not beat you by 85, but hang 80, 85 in the game, beat you by... 15 to 17, or they can get in a rock fight with you. 63 to 58 over TCU last night. And maybe that's why Kansas is going to be favored to win this conference outright. Now you go back home and play West Virginia and Texas Tech, two of the bottom teams in the conference. And Texas, the team that's chasing you only a half game back, and you're up 1 0 on the season series. They have to go on the road to Waco, on the road to Fort Worth. They play Iowa State and Kansas at home. Texas's final four games are the toughest of anybody in the conference. Kansas, I would say, has the easiest finish to the season now. You get two games at home, then you face Texas and Austin on March 4th. But I would say the reason as to why Kansas is going to be favored to win this conference outright They can beat you in a variety of ways. There are some teams in the Big 12, as good as this conference is, that when they get into low-scoring games or when it's a shootout, they can't beat you. It's not how they prefer to play the game. 
For example, I think early on, Texas wanted to beat teams in shootouts. They had a very good offensive output. Now, they lost to Kansas State in their home opener. I think it was 116 to, to 104, 108, something like that. But Texas could outscore a lot of teams. And when they got 80, 85, 90 points, they were going to beat the majority of the teams they faced. But you saw when they struggled offensively against Iowa State. Neil, when they struggled to put up points inside the paint, using their size, using their length, they didn't win a lot of those rock fights. You know, TCU was another team that when they were healthy, you felt like, okay, they get over the 80-point threshold, they're going to win or get near 80 points. And, And maybe that's simple to say. When your offense scores a lot, you're going to win a lot of games. That is true. But I think Kansas is one of the few teams that when a team holds them under 70, you know, they get in those 60, 63, 65 to 62 type games, they're still going to win. I mean, that's maybe the difference when it's all said and done. Go back over a conference play since January 31st. So basically this month of February. Here's the games that Kansas has won. They beat Kansas State 90-78. to I would say somewhat of a shootout. I mean, Kansas State nearly got 80 points, so you know what? We'll call it a shootout. Then when they beat Texas, another shootout, 88-80. to They blow out Oklahoma, 78-55. They handle Oklahoma State in a shootout, 87-76. They hang 87 on Baylor. And then last night, they only score 63, but hold TCU under 60. Go back to their game against Iowa State on January 14th. They win 62-60. to Go back to their game on New Year's Eve against Oklahoma State, 69-67. to I mean, they can win those games when you're not scoring at a high rate and they can lock you down defensively. That, to me, feels like what's going to be the difference. And you go back, too, to some of those games on the road that they don't stand out on paper. You go to Lubbock, right? And Texas Tech has not been very good this year. Or you go on the road to West Virginia. You go on the road to Morgantown. And those were under-the-radar type of wins. You beat West Virginia by 14 in Morgantown. You beat Texas Tech by a few in Lubbock. It was your first game on the road in conference play. Now, you still had your slip-ups on the road. You lose to Iowa State by 15. You lose to Kansas State in overtime. You lose to Baylor by 6 on the road. I don't even say those are mishaps. Those are just losses in the Big 12. Those are losses on the road. But to me... I think we predicted this, that Kansas was going to hit their stride in February. That's always going to happen. But I recall back to December and January, I said this team was further along at that point in the season than last year's national title squad. You know, in the non-conference, Kansas was dominating teams. No, it hammered Missouri, hammered Indiana. Their only bad game was against Tennessee, who at the time was ranked in the top ten. But then they went through their bad stretch when they lost three in a row. And I think we contemplated, you know, this team's going through a rut now, but really what is the ceiling for this team? And during that stretch, that three-game losing streak, it was when the offense solely relied on a guy like Jalen Wilson to provide the offensive output. And everybody else stood around and watched. And in those games, starting with Kansas State, you know, you have Jalen Wilson giving you 38. Now, K.J. Adams and Grady Dick still gave a combined 33 points, but you got nothing from Kevin McCullough, you got nothing from Dewan Harris, and the bench play wasn't very good either. In the 83-60 loss to TCU, it was Jalen Wilson giving you 30, next highest scorer, Kevin McCullough with 10. 
And then you go to the game against Baylor when they lose by six on the road. Grady Dick gave you 24. Jalen Wilson gave you 23. McCuller gave you 14. Nothing from anybody else. It was the lack of consistency, the lack of balance from the starting five. And when we saw that, this team struggled. Against Iowa State, Jalen Wilson gave Kansas 26. Next highest score was Joseph Yesfu with eight. But in the recent stretch, since that loss on February 4th, against Texas when they won 88-80, to you got 21 from Grady Dick, 17 from Dewan Harris, 16 from Kevin McCuller, 10 from K.J. Adams, 14 from Joseph Yesfu. Jalen Wilson had two points in that game. Against Oklahoma and Norman when you won by 23, you got 18 from Jalen Wilson, 16 from Dewan Harris, 13 from Kevin McCuller, 10 from K.J. Adams, 8 from Ernest Uday, 8 from Grady Dick. So a very balanced approach against Oklahoma State and Stillwater, which was last Tuesday. 26 from Grady Dick, 15 from McCuller, 15 from K.J. Adams, 14 from Jalen Wilson, 8 from Yesifu, 5 from Dewan Harris. You win by 11 points, not really sweating it out down the stretch. Against Baylor, when you overcame a 17-point deficit in the first half and won by 17. 21 from Wilson, 17 from Adams, 16 from Grady Dick, 14 from Dewan Harris, 9 from Kevin McCuller, 10 bench points. You're starting to see a pattern here, and even you go to last night where you only scored 63 points in the game. It wasn't the most balanced approach, but at least you had two guys not named Jalen Wilson step up offensively. Grady Dick gives you 19, McCuller 15, Wilson gave you 7, Dewan Harrison, K.J. Adams combined for 12 points, and off the bench, Ernest Uday, Bobby Pettiford, and M.J. Rice combined for 10 points. When you hit that rhythm and you hit your groove at this point in the season, it makes you inherently dangerous. And this Kansas team right now, I think everybody else in the Big 12 is waiting for that slip-up. But here's the thing. Kansas's slip-up already happened, the three-game losing streak. And we've said this time and time and again on the show that everybody was going to go through that rut. Everybody was going to go through that struggle where they had a two-game slide, a three-game slide, maybe a four- or five-game slide. Even the best teams in the conference. Baylor lost three in a row. Texas kind of went through a little bit of a rut. When you thought they had a stranglehold in the conference, they slip up against some of the lesser teams in the conference. And Kansas maybe had their bad stretch at the perfect time. Not early on, where you dig yourself a hole like Baylor did. It was kind of early on, but a little bit toward the middle. Where you built up a cushion early on in conference play, then you lost a little bit of that cushion, but since that point, you've only lost one game. And it was to Iowa State at Hilton Coliseum, where they've only lost one time this year. There really hasn't been a bad loss for this Kansas team on the schedule. I mean, you go back to their first loss against Tennessee. If I'm not mistaken, every single loss at that point in the season came against a ranked team. Tennessee at the time was ranked 22nd. Kansas State was ranked 13th. TCU was ranked 14th. Baylor was ranked 17th. And Iowa State was ranked 13th. So you played all of those teams, didn't play your best game. But on paper, for your resume, those are not bad losses. Kansas last year, the national title winning team, had some bad losses. Now, I'm not saying that Kansas was an underdog in all those games. They were favored in the majority of those games. But still, on paper, those are not bad losses. And now you sit here with just three games to go in the regular season, and they have 14 quad one wins. They're third in the country. Who knows if they leapfrog a team like Houston or Alabama before the end of the regular season. 
But I think the goal now, after last night, of, of course it's to win the Big 12 outright, get that number one seed in Kansas City. But maybe the bigger thing at hand, what's more at stake here, is that number one overall seed. And it's very, very important that Kansas grabs that number one overall seed for their hopes of repeating as national champions because Houston right now is ahead of them. Houston is the number one team in the country. They leapfrogged Alabama after the Crimson Tide lost to Tennessee. But Houston, according to Joe Lunardi's recent bracketology, is the number one seed in the Midwest, which puts them in Kansas City for the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Right now, in Joe Lunardi's bracketology, Kansas is the number one seed in the West. The debate is going to be, whenever the season concludes, I mean, we know when it's going to include after the conference tournaments, but if Kansas finds a way to beat West Virginia and Texas Tech and then beats Texas and Austin, they, of course, will win the conference by two games, likely, assuming Texas falls to Baylor, they fall to TCU on the road. Let's say Kansas wins out. They would have 15 quad one wins. Maybe even 16 now that I think about it. But far more than anybody else. For example, North Carolina, who is preseason number one, is 0-9 this year against quad one teams. They have had the toughest schedule, the best resume, the best number of quad one wins. And now when you look at this team and say, all right, they are deserving of the number one overall seed, it comes down to what the committee thinks. Will they penalize Houston for not losing another game, but they do play in the American? Houston, I believe, only has four quad one wins. You take Alabama and you take Houston, they have three less quad one wins than Kansas. So for the bracketology, I think Kansas understands, you know, they're not going to complain with the one seed. That's the thing here. They're not going to complain being a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, especially coming off a year in which you lost four of your five or three of your five starters, two of which were first-round draft picks. But for it to go as smoothly as possible, man, do you want that number one overall seed in the Midwest? And that by far and away, I think, is the goal. But I think the only way you get that is if you win the conference outright by two games. And that would probably require winning out. You lose to Texas and Austin. I guess it depends what happens to the Longhorns in those games against Baylor, Iowa State, and TCU. So even if you lose to Texas, you could still win the conference by a game. Win it outright. And then I think as long as you don't lose in the opening round of the Big 12 tournament, you could get that number one seed in the Midwest. But maybe you do have to get to the championship game. I'm not really sure what's going on inside the minds of the committee, but it's a difference between playing right in your own backyard at the T-Mobile Center, if you make it to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, or playing in the West where Joe Lunardi has Kansas right now and playing in Las Vegas. That is a big, big time difference. And for Kansas... I think you want to avenge what happened the last time you were in Kansas City, having the Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Josh Jackson, Landon Lucas team, Sfema Kyluke team, lose to Oregon in the Elite Eight with a chance to go back to the Final Four. You want to avenge that loss, to have the home crowd 90% on your side. 
And what have we always talked about with the NCAA tournament? You need luck. Part of that luck is where you play, where you end up. First round matchups, second round matchups. And for this Kansas team, you are going to need a little extra help. It's a damn good team. And I'm not trying to take anything away of what they've done this year. You have 22, 23 wins. You are atop the Big 12, by far and away the toughest conference in college basketball. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to need just a little extra boost. And that extra boost is going to be getting in the Midwest region as the number one overall seed instead of the Houston Cougars. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back here, let's continue with our bracketology talk. Let's look at what Joe Lunardi has right now with the entire slate of games in every single region, which one seeds he has and where, and some of the toughest potential matchups that he would have in the second round. That's next on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. We are back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. I am your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We teased it a little bit in the opening parts of the show, actually the very tail end of our segment, with Joe Luonardi's most recent NCAA March Madness Tournament projection, the full 68-team bracket, and that was posted on ESPN about two hours ago. So we're going to quickly overview that, see where some of the local teams are, Kansas, Kansas State, and Missouri. But let's start it off with teams that are on the bubble. Right now, the last four buys are Memphis, Penny Hardaway's squad, Boise State, Mike Boyden's Oklahoma State Cowboys, and Bob Huggins' West Virginia Mountaineers. So two Big 12 teams getting in with the last four buys. The last four in would be Nevada, Mississippi State, USC, and Wisconsin. Now here's where things get interesting. Some teams on the opposite side of the bubble. The first four out. How about this? The North Carolina Tar Heels are a first four out team now. They would be, if this stands, the first preseason number one to miss the NCAA tournament the following year. Right now, Luinardi does not have him have them in the 68-team bracket. Charleston also in the first four out, followed by New Mexico and Utah State. As for the next four out, two Pac-12 schools in Oregon and Arizona State, Texas Tech, one of the teams who I think two weeks ago weren't even considered to be on the radar of the NCAA tournament, they at least have a fighting chance on the bubble, and they are also followed by Penn State. So here is how the first four, not the first four, the the play-in games would look in Dayton. As for the 16 seeds, the battle of 16 seeds would be between Alcorn State and Farley Dickinson. The 11 seed matchups would be Nevada and Mississippi State and USC and Wisconsin. And the other 16 seed play-in games that Lunardi has is Howard and Moorhead State. I know some of those games may matter some to you. I'm sure those will be, I would say actually more than anything, the play-in games, the, the predictions for them are usually right. That, to me, feels pretty accurate. And I think I want to say USC is almost always in those playing games for some odd reason. But USC right now playing Wisconsin in the projected playing games in Dayton, Ohio, before the true NCAA tournament. As for the South region, that would be in Louisville. 
The number one seed would be the Alabama Crimson Tide, playing the winner, of course, of Alcorn State and Farley Dickinson. The 8-9 matchup would be NC State and Memphis. The 5-12 being Creighton-Kent State, Indiana as the 4-13 seed Yale playing them. As for the 6th seed in the South region, Luinardi has TCU playing the winner of that play-in game between Nevada and Mississippi State. The 3 seed in the South region being Virginia. They would take on 14-seeded Colgate. A 7-seeded Illinois would take on 10-seeded Florida Atlantic, who's been in the top 25 this year. And the 2 seed in the South region with number 1 seed Alabama being tops in Louisville would be UCLA taking on Kennesaw State. I am curious to see, uh, of all those teams I just listed in the South region, if you're just tuning in, no, there's not been the official release of the NCAA tournament. It's just the projection, the most recent projection by Joe Lunardi and the committee. I think a really, really tough matchup, maybe just a little bit of recency bias, would be TCU as the sixth seed. Uh, When they are healthy with Mike Miles and Eddie Lampkin, John Rothstein pointed this out on Twitter yesterday. He said, that may be the best team in the Big 12. Now, I think Kansas silenced that last night, but TCU, I believe, is a top-three team in the Big 12 when they are truly healthy. And at that point, who knows? Maybe TCU would be healthy in an incredibly dangerous six- or seven-seeded type of team. As for the East region, which would be New York, Purdue, the number one overall seed, they would get the winner of Howard or Moorhead State. The 8-9 matchup, how about this? The Kentucky Wildcats and the Pitt Panthers. That would probably be a nightmare matchup for Purdue. I'm not overall impressed with Kentucky this year, but they've had their big wins. They swept Tennessee, and with their backs against the wall, they've come through. And now we're, I would say, two weeks ago, they were on the outside looking in. Now they could be a team that could make maybe a little bit of a dangerous run to the Sweet 16, maybe even the Elite. I don't want to go that far especially with what happened last year, losing in the first round to St. Peter's. But I'm not very high on Purdue. And if they got a team like Kentucky, Oscar Shebweg and Zach Eady, maybe I would lean with Kentucky there. As for the five matchup in New York, it'd be UConn against 12-seeded West Virginia, four-seeded Gonzaga against 13-seeded Iona, a six-seeded Duke team going up against 11-seeded Oklahoma State team. The three-seed projection for the East region would be Tennessee, taking on 14-seeded Hofstra. As for the 7-seeded, it'd be Providence against 10-seeded Auburn, and 2-seed Baylor against 15-seeded Vermont. Maybe of this projection, the team that stands out the most to me, I'd say a 3-seed Tennessee, maybe a 2-seeded Baylor. I really do think a team like West Virginia could be a tough out in the second round. You know, one of those 12 seeds that could get the best of a team like UConn and then maybe beating a team like Gonzaga. We always know that Gonzaga underperforms in the NCAA tournament. You maybe are seeing a pattern here. I'm picking a lot of Big 12 teams to upset people early on in the NCAA tournament, but I like Tennessee still. If Tennessee can get teams into half-court games, use their size, they're going to be a very, very tough out. But as for Purdue being the one seed in the East, Hey, I know they had a great start to the season at one point. I want to say 20-1, 21-1, but they've been bad of late. Teams are starting to figure out how they can defend a guy like Zach Eady. I mean, when he's 7-4, 7-5, there's not much you can do when he gets five feet from the goal. But we've seen teams double him. Northwestern did a great job of him when they pull off their upset. I want to say last week or the week before that. You double him, make him to pass it out. He's not the greatest of passers. 
But yeah, when he gets too low in the post, he's going to be a nightmare matchup for anybody. There's nobody that can stop him one-on-one. But doubling him, forcing him to make the mistakes, Purdue could be one of those early teams or early exits in the first or the second round this year. Now for the Midwest region. And if you're a Kansas fan, this means a hell of a lot more to anybody else locally here. Missouri, Kansas State, Kansas. Kansas absolutely needs that number one seed in the Midwest region. But right now, per Joe Luinardi, he has the Houston Cougars as the number one seed, the number one overall seed, getting that spot in the Midwest region. They would take on 16-seeded Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, the 8-9 matchup being Texas A&M, who's been a very surprised team in the SEC this year. They would take on 9-seeded Rutgers. The 5-seed would be Miami, taking on 12-seeded Drake. 4-seeded Marquette and Shaka Smart, taking on 13-seeded Southern Miss. The 6-seed in that region playing in Des Moines would be San Diego State and taking on the winner of the play-in game between USC and Wisconsin. And how about this? Kansas State as the 3-seed playing in Des Moines against UC Irvine. If I'm not mistaken... The Barry Brown, Dean Wade team, uh, the Cartier Jara team, I think they played UC Irvine the last time they were a four seed, three or a four seed. Yeah. And they lost. Kansas City, too, maybe. It was something like that and lost to UC Irvine. Also, a, a De La Salle team, I think, or a LaSalle team. That's the Kansas City game I'm thinking of. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And UC Irvine is another team that would have gotten the best of them. I think UC Irvine. The last time Kansas State was a top-five seed, got them in the first round. So I'm sure Kansas State fans would not want to see uh, UC Irvine again, no matter if they are a three-seed or not. The seven-seed playing in Denver in the Midwest region will be Michigan State going up against the ten-seeded Missouri Tigers. So the Tigers getting that ten-seed, assuming they can handle business down the back half, of their SEC schedule, and that would maybe set up a former Big 12 matchup, two-seed Texas against 15-seeded Youngstown State. So that right now is the projected Midwest region, Houston being the number one overall seed and not the Kansas Jayhawks. Now for the West region, which would be played the Sweet 16 Elite Eight rounds in Las Vegas, Kansas, the number one seed, they would be in Des Moines, so they would see Kansas State fans in Des Moines, along with, it appears, who else would be in Des Moines? Here would be San Diego State, maybe USC or Wisconsin, Kansas State. And then I want to say one other set of teams would be there. Maybe not. But as for Kansas, their first round would likely be in Des Moines. I think either way uh, they would be in Des Moines and then maybe Kansas City. So Kansas against UNC Asheville, the one sixteen matchup in the West region, this 8-9 matchup would be brutal. So if you're a Kansas fan, you're hoping this projection doesn't come true. Iowa and Arkansas, 8-9 matchup. Arkansas just got back Nick Smith, who was the number one overall point guard recruit. They had the most loaded draft class of anybody preseason, lottery picks. I mean, they've got a couple of five stars in, in Anthony Black. You have Jordan Walsh, and then you have Nick Smith. If Arkansas is healthy and they're an 8-9 matchup, I don't care who the one seed is. That is probably... One of the toughest matchups of the tournament, if not the toughest matchup of the first two weekends. So it'd be Kansas and Arkansas. I'd imagine if that projection does hold true, and that would make me incredibly nervous. I would be very, very nervous with a Kansas Arkansas matchup in the second round. As for the five seed matchup 
in the West region would be St. Mary's against 12-seeded VCU, the 4-seed being Xavier, 13-seed Utah Valley, 6-seeded Northwestern, who upended number 1 Purdue a few weeks back. They would be the 6 taking on 11-seeded Oral Roberts. A Big 12 team grabs the 3rd seed in the West region being Iowa State against 14-seeded Eastern Washington. The 7th seed being Maryland, 10-seeded Boise State. That matchup would be in Sacramento. And the 2-seed in the West region would be Arizona against 15-seeded Sanford. So if that doesn't disappoint you as a Kansas fan, and you're hoping now Kansas finds a way to just somehow get in the Midwest region, because think about it this way. If this holds true, and it's not going to have every single team exactly right here, but let's say Kansas has the one seed in the West, and Arizona's the two. Well, Kansas already has to deal with a tough second-round matchup with either Iowa or Arkansas. And if they get to Las Vegas in the West region, and maybe would meet a team like Arizona, think about the region matchup there. Arizona gets to play in Vegas, whereas Kansas has to make the long-distance travel to Vegas, and you would be outnumbered likely in the fan base there. So the West region looks like a hellish nightmare if you're Kansas, but you want to feel like this would be one of those matchups where you can just have all your teams in the Midwest. You can go from Des Moines to Kansas City and not from Des Moines to Las Vegas. Now, it's all about luck here. You can hope and pray you get to Kansas City or Vegas. You got to take care of take care of those first two matchups. But man, that would be a gauntlet of a region if Kansas did not get in the Midwest. So that right now is the full 68-team bracket breakdown per Joe Lunardi. That's going to shake out a lot differently here in about three weeks, three or four weeks. How much shorter now? I would say two weeks at that. We haven't even gotten to the conference tournament. We don't know who all the conference champions are just yet. I would say after last night, Kansas might have the inside edge with the Midwest region because of their quad one wins. It also comes down to, though, will the committee penalize a team like Houston, who's not going to lose for the rest of the regular season? They're playing in the American. They have very few quad one wins. But we've seen this with Gonzaga many a times, that when they just continue to win, you're not going to drop them down from the number one overall seat. But maybe their resume, speaking of Kansas, is too impressive to ignore and keep them out of that top spot. But first things first, you got to keep winning. You likely have to win your final three games, win the conference outright by a couple of games, give you some buffer room, go into Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament. Marco, of this Joe Luinardi bracket breakdown, and it's going to change, and you know we might revisit it a couple of times leading up to the official selection Sunday. How important would you say it is? I think for all these teams here, when speaking of Kansas, Kansas State, and Missouri, I think of where these teams all match up, how important of it is it to be close to home when you are a top five seed? So let's start with Kansas and Kansas State. They would both be in Des Moines for the first round. Is it important to have, well, now Marco's going to have somebody come in and talk for a second. So I'll lead up this question a little bit differently until he's ready to be back on the mic here. But as for these type of matchups, when you get that close to a region, I guess it matters how passionate your fan base is. You do need a lot of luck. And if you do have a a big Blue Nation type of fan base, or you have Kansas' fan base or Arizona's fan base, that always certainly matters. But maybe for a team like Kansas State, I think we've definitely hammered the point that Kansas needs 
the Des Moines and Kansas City type of path much more than the Des Moines-Las Vegas type of path. As for Kansas State, does it really matter uh, to have that region so close in the first couple of rounds to give you that extra boost? Or when you are not a number one overall seed, is it kind of just about luck at that point? Is it more so about matchups than anything when you aren't that number one overall seed trying to get that closer region? No, it certainly doesn't uh, hurt to be closer to home if you're Kansas State or Missouri, two teams who have been poor on the road, not just in conference play, but just outside outside of it too this season. Um, Kansas State is 3-6 and six on the road this season, while Missouri, and that's 3-6 and six while being 14-1 and one at home for the Kansas State Wildcats. It, then for Missouri, I know it's not been great, great at all either. In fact, almost as equal, 3-5 and five on the road also uh, for the Tigers. So it, you benefit from being closer to home uh, if you're one of those teams. Uh, if you're either of those two teams, that's not projected to be a number one seed like KU. So record shows that it does help uh, bo- both those teams. But, um, of course, Kansas State, they have to finish off strong to close out the Big 12 play um, to, I guess, earn that spot in Des Moines. Uh, it's important for them to hold on to that three seed right now where Lenardi has them projected at in that Kansas City region, you have a pretty favorable path to the Sweet 16 where uh, where your region, um, where you would transition to Kansas City for the uh, regional semifinal, regional final. So very important for Kansas State to more so hold down a um, spot in the Midwest region of the bracket because they're not going to be able to choose where they go because uh, – Simply don't see him finishing as the top seed going into the tournament. And then Missouri, we already touched on that, way better at home. I think that's going to be a reason why you see them win tonight against Mississippi State, um, being back in Columbia. In fact, tonight's game more so. Missouri, they shouldn't be so worried about whereas they're going to be playing as more as they need to keep they – they, they're still not a lock in this tournament. Yeah. In fact, Mississippi State being the last four in, um, Joe Lenardi's bracketology for today goes to show you how big of a game tonight's matchup is for the Tigers so it helps to be closer to home but they have a little bit more to focus on before they can put before they can set their sight on being in the tournament yeah I I think my takeaway would be on it is when you're a top four seed it matters region wise if you're a eight to nine ten seed you're just hoping for the best matchup you're hoping for favorable matches right now Missouri is a 10 seed and they'd be getting seven seeded Michigan State but like you said Marco it kind of depends on how good you were at home how good you were on the road Kansas State of late has not been a very good road team, so maybe being in Des Moines helps that a little bit. But, of course, if they were in the West region traveling to Las Vegas or if they were in the Midwest region getting a better draw than Kansas, they had to go from Des Moines to Kansas City. But we'll see how all that shakes down in Selection Sunday here in a couple of weeks. It's like our final break of the show. When we come back, former Chief LaShawn McCoy had some strong words in a negative light for Eric Bieniemy, it's clear the two did not get along. He doesn't think that Bieniemy is going to shine with the Washington Commanders. We'll play you that audio clip, give us our thoughts, give us Marco and I's thoughts, and then we will wrap it up with some fact or fiction. That's next on 94.5 FM and 15.10 AM ESPN, Kansas City. We are back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 15.10 AM ESPN, Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. LaShawn McCoy was very vocal after his time in Kansas City that 
he was not too fond of Eric Bieniemy. Didn't get along with him very well. But it appears that those feelings have never really gone away. In the aftermath of being with Kansas City, maybe maybe being a healthy scratch in the Super Bowl, rubbing him the wrong way. But it's clear that LaShawn McCoy and Eric Bieniemy didn't get along in practice. Maybe didn't get along during games. But he was on TV yesterday, and he had some choice words and reasons as to why Eric Bieniemy is not going to shine in Washington. And maybe some of you will agree with Sean McCoy. Maybe some of you will think he's completely wrong. Without further ado, here is what Shady McCoy had to say about Eric Bieniemy and his new job as offensive coordinator with the Washington Commanders. With the Commanders. I hope he doesn't, but I think he will. What's his value? What makes him a good offensive coordinator? See, the problem is a lot of these people that go on social media, oh, he should be the guy for the job. They haven't played there. They're not in the locker room. I've been in the rooms where he's coaching, and he has nothing to do with the pass game at all, right? When the plays are, are designed, that's Andy Reid. When you talk about officer coordinators, I can tell you what makes Brian Dayball with the Giants a very, very good coordinator. I can tell you with Andy Reid or Doug Peterson. But when I ask about um, Eric Bieniemy, what makes him good? When we watch the film of practices and we correct the, the, the wide receivers, the running backs, the, the quarterbacks, he doesn't talk in there. Andy Reid talks in there. Mm. He may say things to the running back because he's an ex-running back coach. I get that. But he has no real responsibility. Now you go from the Chiefs, where you can hide behind Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid. Then you, then you go to the, the Washington, where you got to call plays. You got to run the meetings. You got to run the installs. The last issue I have with him is what makes Andy Reid so great, not the, call, the, the play calls, which we see that, which, I mean, that's one of it. But the other thing is, like, adapting to the players. Well, being in me, he's my first practice. I couldn't believe it. He's dog coaching. He's dog cussing the players. I'm like, and not just the regular players, Kelsey, you know, you know, other players. So it's like, it's hard for me. I'm rooting for him because he's a black coach, and I love to see black coaches win. Also, he's a running back coach. Running back coaches don't never get a chance to be True. office coordinators. The yep. last one was, like, Anthony Lynn. So I want that to, 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 to do well for him. But if I have to do my job, and be honest, my thing is just where is the true value at? Is it then, is it have anything to do with him being black in your opinion? Obviously, uh, you ain't Roger Goodell. You don't know. No. You know what? Absolutely not. But people want to win. The color thing, I, I get it. It, we, it should be more black cultures. I definitely believe that. But if you come up for the Chiefs, they want to win. It has nothing to do with the, with the color barrier at all. There was LaShawn McCoy, I think it was earlier this morning, just giving his thoughts on Eric Bieniemy getting that job with the Washington Commanders and maybe his success level or his projected success level with a much lesser team. And that goes without saying here. Washington is far inferior to the Kansas City Chiefs. Talent-wise, quarterback-wise, structure-wise, the whole nine yards. It is going to be light years difference, night and day difference from Kansas City to Washington. I thought it was interesting insight, though. I'm not going to sit here and bash LaShawn McCoy because LaShawn McCoy gave an opinion, and he's entitled to his opinion, and it's an educated opinion. He has been in a locker room with Eric Bieniemy. Now, here's the thing. Not every player has the same impressions of Eric Bieniemy. Maybe LaShawn McCoy came into Kansas City and said, hey, I'm going to be the number one running back, and when he didn't get that, he just thought, well, I'm just not going to like anybody that prevented me from getting that top spot on the depth chart. But LaShawn McCoy, I thought, had 
a couple of reasons as to why it's not going to work in Washington. He plainly said, it's not Eric Bieniemy drawing up those plays, being in those meetings, being vocal. He said he'd speak up a couple of times with the running backs and some of the players because that was his role. But as for the scheming, as for the play calling, as for the total success of the offense, that was all Andy Reid. Take it a little bit, too, with a grain of salt because Andy Reid was with Shady McCoy in Philly. So he's already got that connection. He's got that support where the relationship with Bienemy was one year long. So if Bienemy was a guy that didn't treat him like a favorite like maybe Andy Reid did, he's not going to like him as much. But what LaShawn McCoy is saying is also what Eric Bienemy's critics are saying and what a lot of critics have said about Eric Bienemy in his time with Kansas City, that he's not getting a job as a head coach because it's Andy Reid doing all the work. And here's the thing. We can give our opinions other media talking heads can give their opinions. Other coaches, GMs, scouts can give their opinions. The only people that are in the locker room are the players of the Kansas City Chiefs and the coaches of the Kansas City Chiefs. And we've heard conflicting reports as to how involved Eric Bieniemy is. But I think here in Kansas City, everybody's fully aware that whether it is Andy Reid or Eric Bieniemy calling all the shots, their cohesiveness together resulted in a lot of touchdowns, a lot of points for the Chiefs. Nobody can deny that. So if you have a good pairing with a head coach and an OC, that's going to work out time and time and again. It doesn't matter if the head coach is the one doing the majority of the work or it's the OC doing the majority of the work. You see coaches fail all the time, and you know what the best thing about this? We are going to see just how good Eric Bieniemy is as a play caller, as an assistant head coach, and whether Washington can make a serious improvement from last year to next year. I think it was a great hire by Washington. Bienemy kind of fell into their his laps or their laps, but this is Eric Bienemy's chance to maybe prove guys like LaShawn McCoy wrong. Because LaShawn McCoy is gonna sit there and say, Hey, he's not in Kansas City anymore. He's gonna be exposed in Washington. Also at the same time, you have to factor in that it takes a little bit of time to build an offense. I mean Eric Bienemy's going from Patrick Mahomes to Sam Howell. He's going from Travis Kelsey being the number one weapon to Terry McLaurin being the number one weapon. It's a lot different in Washington. So, no, a bad year one in Washington should not completely solve our our question here. Should not answer the question of if Eric Bieniemy is a good play caller. If they're worst in the league, then, yeah, I think you have some reasons to criticize. But I think after maybe two or three years, we'll have our definitive answer. But LaShawn McCoy clearly thinks it's not going to work out in Washington because Andy Reid was always the guy calling the shots. He was the one drawing up the plays. He was the one making it easy execution for guys like Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Juju Smith-Schuster, MVS Sky Moore, McCole Hardman, Isaiah Pacheco, Jared McKinnon, all those guys. That was all Reid, not so much the enemy per LaShawn McCoy, who did play. For the Chiefs for one year. He has some validity there. Is he just an angry ex-player? Or is he a guy that saw some stuff and said, hey, I'm okay with exposing a little bit of the truth? We won't know because guess what? We weren't in the locker room with LaShawn McCoy or know about that relationship between Biennemi and LaShawn McCoy. But time will tell. And time will tell here in about five to six months. All right, let's wrap up the show with some fact or fiction. Five questions, five takes in under five minutes. Marco, fire away. 
Jack, Factor Fiction, KU wins the Big 12 by two games. I think it really depends on what Texas does, not so much what Kansas does. I think Kansas easily wins their next two home games, which sets up a pretty big showdown in Austin against the Texas Longhorns. But Texas, man, they have to play Iowa State at home. They get Baylor on the road. They get TCU on the road. And they got to play Kansas, as we just mentioned. I think Texas loses at least two of those games. I think Texas goes two and two over these final four. I think Kansas at minimum goes three and one. Winning the conference by two games seems like a little bit of a stretch. I think they do win the conference outright after their win last night against TCU. I'll go fiction. Kansas wins this conference, but it's not going to be by two games. I think it'll be about one game right over Texas. Fact or fiction, KU grabs the number one seed in the Midwest region. We mentioned this a little bit on the show. To kick or to kick off the show today, saying that Kansas has 14 quad one wins. If they win out the rest of the regular season, they'll have 15 to 16 quad one wins. And then if they win a couple games in the Big 12 tournament, that'll put them around 17 quad one wins. That's absurd. That's absolutely ridiculous. And it doesn't matter if Houston wins out in the American Conference. If Houston is 31 and two going into the tournament, I'm sorry, they're the number two seed. If Kansas only loses one more time for the rest of the regular season, because Kansas has dominated in quad one wins, more so than everybody else in the country. But I do think when it's all said and done, at the conclusion of the regular season, Kansas will have that number one seed in the Midwest region and jump from Des Moines to Kansas City. Fact or fiction, K-State upsets Baylor tonight. Big, big matchup in the Big 12 tonight between Kansas State and Baylor. The 14th-seeded Wildcats against, the, I believe, the ninth-ranked Baylor Bears. They didn't move anywhere after their loss to Kansas up in Lawrence, but we've seen how good Kansas State is at home. Hopefully tonight you'll not see the fatigued version of Kansas State. If they play the way they did against Iowa State, only getting about 61 points, I don't see them beating a Baylor team that's going to be coming in pissed off after losing to Kansas. Blowing that 17-point lead, losing by 17, they're looking to take the rank out on somebody, and I think that somebody would be Kansas State, but I really do like the Cats' chances at home tonight. They've been great there. Hostile environment. Actually give me Kansas State tonight in an upset over the Baylor Bears. EB leads Washington to a top 15 offense next year. I'm going to go fiction. Too many good offenses in the NFL, and there's just not enough weapons. I do like Brian Robinson. I think Sam Howell will be fine. I like Terry McLaurin. But other than that, a lot of question marks for that team. I think they'll be around the 20 to 25 range. NBA All-Star game is altered by next year. Oh, my gosh. That was bad to watch. That was just not fun. And coaches are being vocal about how bad that is. You just have guys standing around and, and playing one-on-one. Either go have skills challenges, make fun of it, do what the Pro Bowl does, or actually have somewhat of effort put into it. Just like the summer leagues, right? They go play pickup ball in the summer. They're not worried about injuries. So why should you be worried about injuries in the All-Star game? Not saying you have to go all out. You want to rest or have fun, but choose one or the other. Either try or go away with the All-Star game as a whole and just stick to skills competitions. So I'm going to go fact. I do think it's altered a little bit before next year. There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City. Well, I guess if you say so, I'll have to pack.